Anyone who has a child with learning difficulties will be very familiar with how much time it all takes. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realisation Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. In this episode, I'm with my colleague, Beth Söderström. Now, Beth has a son with complex health needs and learning difficulties. So, hi, Beth. Hello. So, could you describe your setup at home? We chat about Alfie and, you know, just, just whether you work, that type of thing. Right. We live in rural Somerset. I have three children um, Alfie is the middle son. I work from home in a part-time capacity because most of my time is taken up looking after him, managing his needs, dealing with um, social services, managing assessments. Anyone who has a child with learning difficulties will be very familiar with how much time it all takes. So I fitted my working life around the needs of my children. And am I right in thinking that he lives with you, but independently of you? Yeah, we have, um, it's a rural setting, it used to be a farm, so we have an outbuilding that was converted as a, um, originally for my mother, um, and then she died, and then we used to rent it out, and then we put Alfie in it about two years ago as a way to see how he could manage living independently, and it's fairly apparent that he won't ever live independently but this was sort of a way of testing it out in a safe way so when I'm in the kitchen I can look out and see him and he can see me he can trot over for meals and things like that but it it gives the idea that he's living independently but in a very safe way. And how old is he now? 20. So describe your journey of um understanding Alfie's diagnosis at what point did that happen in his life you know and how was it for you when he was a baby a toddler early years at school and so on it's quite complex because Alfie came into our lives when he was a year old and he was placed with us and we formally adopted him when he was two so there was a lot that we didn't know so it's been an unfolding and a learning as we go so some of his behaviours could have been attributed to the fact that he's been adopted. Some are to do with learning difficulties. So it's just been a process. Um, and in the early days, it was really hard to tell what was coming from where. But that became more apparent the older he got, um, because you could see how other children were t- improving, taking on. And he was the, the gap was widening. So I'd say by the time he was about 11 it was fairly obvious he had quite significant learning difficulties. Right and how did that uh, so what happened with his schooling for example? He was at the same school as his um, older brother and sister Um, and and we chose that school specifically because it was an inclusive school it was very supportive they did everything they could to include him 
but it just got to a point where he couldn't keep up and it was all the normal stuff it's like with very small children you you can disguise it the fact that he didn't really have any friends or anything but um as he got older that became harder and harder and so on the advice of the headmaster we found a school in Tewkesbury that was 50% of the children had learning difficulties it had its own farm it was very outside based and it, it was it was a hard call to send into a boarding school because as any parent would know, why would you want to send your children away? But in retrospect, it was the best thing that could have happened because then that was the first time he made real friends because he met people who also had difficulties. So he was with a peer group where he wasn't the one who was the odd one out. And he's made those friends he has stayed friends with. Um, so for nine years now, he's got a so he's got a friendship group. Admittedly, they live all over the country, but at least he has had the experience of a genuine, congruent friendship. Well, that's so nice to hear. So, how have you coped with his needs as you've gone through, you know, mothering him, being his parent? You know, what what kind of things have you had to deal with, or or? Or what's some nice stories through this journey together? Well, it's been an unfolding for both of us. We've both been learning. And I mean, there's never one single event that you think it's more sort of, okay, so he's not behaving in the way the others did. He hasn't got to the same stage as the others do. His behaviour was quite erratic. Um, and it was on different levels. So there was sort of emotional behaviour and then cognitive behaviour. But but real big flags from when he was little was he didn't seem to register any of the normal emotions. So he, if he was, he once went and sat in a whole bunch of metals and didn't cry, that sort of thing. Um, so over the years, that's got better as his attachment is more secure and so now he has a full range of emotions but the learning difficulties have become more obvious um so there is a he has dyspraxia adhd and sensory processing disorder so for most people dyspraxia they just think clumsy child and he is most definitely that so the practical application of that is he breaks everything and I mean literally everything he's gone through god knows how many mobile phones electric shavers radios any kind of gadget but it also has a cognitive function which is he can't process too much information so therefore problem solving is a real issue so you and I might see something's not working we might sit down and think of a way to sort it out and if we couldn't we'd phone someone he will just rush at it and he and he breaks things and damages things and never maliciously he doesn't do it out of temper it's just because of the way his brain is wired so the best example I've had that was he was doing some laundry and he likes to sort his colours into one pile and whites into the other and he got a white swash on he saw a white sock on the floor picked it up and thought oh I've forgotten that and yanked the washing machine open full cycle to put it in so that's quite a good example because people who don't have the wiring he does 
would never do that because they realise you can't do that. And then consequently, that was the washing machine door irreplaceably damaged. Um, so things like door handles get ripped off because he's pulled at them too hard because it's sensory processing disorder. He doesn't realise how hard he's pushing something. So when he was a little boy, that would be, so his pencil would go through the paper or if he rubbed something out, he'd rub the whole paper, you know, the holes in it. Um, so, so that was very hard because people, he doesn't have, you, you wouldn't look at him and realise he had a disability. He's a good-looking young man, and he's he's a lovely guy. It's all hidden. It's like an iceberg. So what shows on the surface is the smallest amount. So that might be sort of slightly odd gait, but two-thirds of it is hidden. And so that's very difficult for him, and it's very difficult for people who work with him because they do not know. Whereas if he had an obvious disability, there's a visual cue that something's up. So for him, that's quite hard. And it's been difficult for his self-esteem. So the hardest thing for me as a parent has been keeping him safe. That's, you know, one of the things I was, I was thinking about when you were answering that question. It must be quite hard for him if he tries to solve a problem his way, which is through brute force sometimes by the sound of it, but not through anger, through, you know, yanking the washing machine open because it makes sense that that sock needs to go in the whitewash then there could be a consequence where he he might feel that he messes up or he fails at things does does do you see that oh god God, yeah I mean and that's that's been the biggest problem because you know there's always that there's a physical aspect of his problems and then there's emotional side and the behavioral side and so his his self-esteem was on the floor and um, it's very hard to frame that for him to realise that he's not doing it on purpose. It is his condition. If he was epileptic and having fits, that would not be his fault. Well, the fact that he yanked the washing machine door was not his fault. That is the way he is wired and that's the way his brain works. However there are implications to that and in terms of of living life it's it's about well how do I keep him safe so he doesn't damage himself or others through his behavior and what's his relationship like with his siblings when they were little it was fine they were they were very um sort of protective of him it was harder for them as he got older because he started behaving in a way that they found quite difficult and embarrassing and they would always look after him and protect him but I think it I think it's very hard if you have a child with additional needs because it tends to take away from the others and the biggest wake up for him going to boarding school was oh my god I have two other children Mm. and say it made me very mindful of their needs as well so it's hard because as a parent, you will always respond to where the need is. But just because the others are quiet and not asking and not needing your attention in the same way doesn't mean they don't have their needs too. So it's, it's trying to protect them and so it doesn't impact too much on their upbringing. And, you know, he can behave inappropriately at times. He can behave inappropriately on social media. 
and that can be embarrassing for them. So it's it's hard on everyone. That must have been a um, a, a really interesting time for you when Alfie did go to boarding school, and you you know say. So you realise you had two other children. Of course, I know what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, suddenly having time to give your other children without um, needing to always have one eye out on Alfie, that must have been a really interesting time for you. Well, it was because it was a taste of normality, whatever normality is. It's mm-hmm. just because when you have a child with learning difficulties, that is your normality. Mm-hmm. And you just... Um, deal with it and it's not until it stops for a bit you just think good god that's hard work because it never it's relentless it is absolutely physically demanding time consuming and it occupies a lot of mental headspace as well there's a lot of worrying associated with it it's like the normal trajectory of being a parent which can be terrifying I mean overwhelming with love and overwhelming responsibilities it's all of that but there's just another aspect to it with a a child with learning difficulties because you know they are not going to reach the milestones Mm. other children do and their lives are going to be harder because there's a limit to their capacity and there's an element um i'm hearing from you um of vulnerability you know his you know so what what would you say that your hopes and aspirations or your fears for him as he goes through his adulthood? You know, how how do you see him being an individual in, in his own right um, set against the vulnerability he has of trying to be independent? It's about having the right environment and the right community. I mean, in... In my sort of best case scenario, we'd be living in a supportive community with similar um, young adults because then he'd have a peer group, he'd have community, he'd have a sort of um, that experience of extended family. Um, that would be the, the best hope. And is that possible? Is there such a thing? Well, there there are different communities. But, I mean, the sort of social services scene is changing all the time, but there's a lot of third sector provisions. I mean, I think anyone who's in this position will realise you become the expert. You have to do a lot of research. You have to inform yourself. Um, so parent-to-parent forums are an excellent source of information. So, yes, and I think there will be the right fit for him. Um, but I deal with things on a day-by-day basis rather than trying to plan too far into the future because the future is an unknown equation. Well, it really is, and that's a that's a really good point because we have no idea what Alfie's life is going to be like. Yeah. But in your in your moments as a mum, what are your what are your hopes for him? Well. He's a really lovely young man and he has a very big heart and he's very kind and he's considerate and he's caring, he's funny. So Alfie as an individual is fine. Um, My hope is that he will be able to show that side of himself and that 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 bit is appreciated, which I think he will in the right community. 
and it's about being there for him every step of the way absolutely yeah yeah and my job is to equip him for life and so I think I've had a shift in how I am with things so I've moved from a position of firefighting and future proofing and um thinking that everything's a battle and that it's all on me and if I don't sort it all out it's going to be a disaster to seeing that actually who he is is fine um and it's my job to get him to see that for himself that the worries he has and the sort of self-image and all that sort of stuff are coming to him because of the way he thinks mm. and that we don't have to take our thinking seriously, mm. that um, our moods change, the nature of thought changes and how we think is how we feel. So with that mindset, everything is manageable, even when it's difficult. And have you noticed that the times when you really got into that you know catastrophe thinking that we all do we all get into that um oh my goodness what if that's this is going to happen to him this is his outcome you know we we really you know fall headlong into the future sometimes thinking we know exactly how it's going to turn out have you found any link to when you're feeling caught up in what might be he gets caught up absolutely because your children take their cue from you. So there's this it was said in some parenting book somewhere, you know, happy mother, happy child. Mm. And that, that is so true. And that, it's not that I see my job to be happy. It's my job to be okay with what is, whatever it is, because then he sees that behaviour model. So and for a, a sort of practical example, I've moved from thinking Alfie is a problem that needs fixing to... Alfie is okay as he is. He's doing the best he can. When things go wrong, I frame that as a learning opportunity because I think part of the problem was wanting him to fit into a mould that doesn't fit him. Yeah. And once I let go of that and realised he's absolutely fine as he is. Um, however, there are practical implications to him living in a safe way. So with everything that he comes um, up against, so he, he's broken something. He, he broken, um, you know, those things you you dry your clothes on last night. He broke that last night and I got a little text from him saying, I've broken it. And so I said, OK, so what's the learning there? Not, oh, my God, you know, that's a that's a fourth one you've done or oh my god where am I going to get another one from or whatever which would have been my problem solving this is something to fix mindset now it's okay what have you learned from that they are much more neutral I'm not criticizing him I'm not criticizing myself I'm just okay with what is but what is the learning in that and say so he thought for a bit and then I got a text back saying I think I pressed too hard on it I said, okay, so you learned something from that, haven't you? And so, yeah, and and that seems to be gradually, because, I mean, his whole experience, bless him, through school, was of getting everything wrong. Mm. 
because the system he was in didn't really respond to his needs. Um, so helping him realise he's not wrong, he's just wired differently, and how can he learn to own that for himself and explain that to people and then find a way of, of getting things that do work in a way for him. So for a long time, he didn't want to talk about his conditions, which are conditions for life. These are not things that are going to get better. You don't um, grow out of ADHD or dyspraxia or sensory processing disorder. Um, but that is how he is wired. Um, so now he owns it more. He will say um, something like, could you slow down and say that again? Um, I'm dyspraxic. Um, could you just give me three pieces of information? He's learned to write things down when people say them to him. He's learned to have a whiteboard. So they're sort of, sort of, as so memory prompts. So they're, they're, they're certain strategies you put in place to accommodate, but, uh, but sort of underneath the managing stuff is the belief that he's doing the best he can and he is okay as who he is that's just the way he's put together yeah and it's so lovely to hear you talk and and see him for who he truly is and be comfortable with that you know without with 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 recognizing that Alfie is his own mold and he doesn't fit into anybody else's mold yeah. and and you said that um you know, you notice that, that society most definitely wants us all to fit into the correct mould. But what, mm. you know, how, how was that for you? Where did you, at what point in Alfie's life did you, did you see how, how you could see his life and your relationship with him differently? Um, it, it was through doing the work we did together, actually. It, it's, um, it was shifting my mindset it was realizing that with the best of intentions I people are only ever doing the best they can based on how they see things in that moment but that I don't know what the future is it never turns out the way you think it does um, and that it's not all on me to firefight and fix it it's on me to realise how it works and that I give you a practical example. So I used to go into, again, anyone who has a child with learning difficulties will be very familiar with the EHCP, mm -hmm. Education Healthcare Plan, right? it's a nightmare, a lot of assessments, a lot of meetings. So my mindset used to be, oh my God, if I'm not completely on top of this, if I haven't read all the legislation, if I don't know all the ways it all fits together, he's going to be denied something and we're going to miss out and it's all going to be my fault. So there's the most massive pressure I was putting on myself to get all this right and that every meeting would feel like a battleground and I'd be seeing them as potentially the enemy and all the rest of it. And then I had this absolute moment of clarity, which was... They're only doing the best they can do. I'm only doing the best I can do. Alfie's only doing the best he can do. We're all doing the best we can do with what we've got. And it's just like a load of 
pressure lifted. So the interesting thing for me in having a shift in my mindset, the only thing that shifted, my circumstances are exactly the same. There's still a lot of organising to do, planning, logistics, meetings to arrange, all the rest of it. Alfie still breaks things on a regular basis. He still needs lifts everywhere. He still needs help managing everything. But the thing that has shifted is how I am with it. And that has a really practical implication because I'm okay when it's not okay. Because I'm okay, he's okay. So I've let I've moved from a I've got to fix it. There's a, this is a problem that needs fixing to um, this is how it is, what's going to be the best way to approach it. So my mindset is much clearer. I'm calmer and I get things done in an easier way. It's still the same amount of work, but I'm not so agitated. I'm not so wound up pressurized I don't have this sense of doom the whole time that I've missed something or I'm going to get caught out I'm just more light-hearted sounds a sort of slightly I don't know um cheesy expression but I'm just I'm just lighter with it and it's like being able to navigate more easily yeah, I can hear that. I can really, really hear that. And and before we started recording this episode together, you talked about your inner critic. Mm. And I can really hear that your inner critic has dropped away. Yeah. That's what that's what I'm I'm hearing. Yeah, because I can see it for what it is. I recognise when it comes up and I realise I don't have to take it seriously. So lovely. That's such a lovely thing to hear. So, and it leads me really beautifully on to ask you that, you know, if you had a message to share with any parent, you know, who's listening, who may be having a similar experience with the same age, or maybe has a young child that they're starting to have concerns about them, you know, not fitting into the mold, I've got quotation marks there, Mm -hmm. you know, what would be your message to them? I'd reach out to other parents find people in the same boat and because that helps normalize it makes you realize you're not the only one Mm. and gets some support Um, and ultimately be kind to yourself you are doing the best you possibly can you do know what's right for your child and ultimately your child is doing the best they can as well so it doesn't have to be a fight it can be a dance oh beautiful beautiful what a lovely way to end our podcast together. Um, so, Beth, if anybody wanted to chat to you mm-hmm. about your experience or, the, or their own, would mm. it be possible for them to make contact with you? And if so, how would they do that? Well, probably the best way would be to drop me an email. Say that would be at Beth, B-E-T-H dot Sodastrom, S-O-D-E-R-S-T-R-O-N at live.co.uk brilliant and i'll put that in the description of the episode as well you're a star as always thank you so much my pleasure lovely to speak with you you've been listening to precarious parenting by realization works subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people